brought to you by Think Tank. of the sisterhood uh, which is a new podcast all about stories of unknown or underappreciated women from the past who have lived interesting or extraordinary lives that we just feel more people need to know about when i say we i'm holly morgan davis and i'm alicia joy davis and yeah we don't we should probably say we don't really know what we're doing yeah complete amateurs we're complete Uh, amateurs we've never neither of us have ever podcasted before never But we do like listening to podcasts. Yes, we do. And, and we, we like, like history. history. <laughs> and we like history. <laughs> Not twins, let's clarify. Uh, no, no. Um, so, yeah, so if, you have any, if you're listening and you have any suggestions of things we could do better or differently, please get in contact. Uh, but be nice. Yeah, we appreciate constructive, constructive criticism. criticism. So, uh, what are we going to be talking about in the first, first ever episode? So, the first ever episode is about Gwyneth Erica Morgan who was a aristocratic lady in the 19th century and 20th century, who uh, was one of the wealth from the wealth, one of the wealthiest families uh, in the UK, and uh, who died in very mysterious circumstances in yes. the 1920s. There's a lot of intrigue, a lot of intrigue. She had a lot of problems. Uh, it's quite an interesting story, but it's also quite a sad story. Yeah, and also one that neither of us had really heard about before no. we researched this. No, but once we had gone to... Well, we went for a bit of help. We went to a local historian called Monty Dart, who was amazing. Yeah, she was very kind to us. Uh, she'd written this book, uh, A Beautiful Nuisance, The Life and Death of the Honourable Gwyneth Erica Morgan. Uh, she wrote that with her writing partner, William Cross. So we went around to chat about that. Yeah, I went, had a talk, talked about Gwyneth, uh, about the book. That was a really interesting conversation yeah. we had. So, yeah, take she a listen. She was great. Monty, thank you so much for You're agreeing welcome. to help us. <laughs> so do you want to just say a bit about what it is you do and how you came across the story of Gwyneth? Yes, I'm a local historian dealing with Newport matters. <laughs> um, one day we were out uh, and we walked through St Basil's Churchyard in Baisley. This is a small village uh, in Newport, Monmouthshire. And as we were walking past the graves, Will and I came across a a wonderful memorial. It was a marble memorial, but it was was enigmatic. Um, It was at the back back of uh, St Basil's Church in Baisley, and it was a tribute to the Honourable Gwyneth Eric Morgan, only daughter of Lord Tredegar. Although the memorial said she died in 1924 in December, there was no date of death, which is very unusual. That was intriguing and led to years of research in attics, basements and even the Vatican secret archives on the trail of her brother Evan and his exploits. Wait, how did you get into the Vatican secret archives? Do they just let... Can you You just just go go into the Vatican secret archives? Oh, no, no, you've got to be able to read Latin or or Italian or you know somebody who knows the Pope. Do you know someone who knows the Pope? Yes. Okay, we'll come back to that later. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a bit different. Um, Well, we were further intrigued when we discovered that 
even at Tredegar House, which was the home of her family, um, they only had one small quote about her. Uh, the rest of um, Gwyneth had been airbrushed from history. And Tredegar House was the place in Wales where she had... Yes, it was her family. parents, her seat, the, her family, the family seat, seat yeah. of the Morgan family. And it had been for, well, now 600 years. Uh, Morgan's no longer lived there, uh, but uh, it's now by, or looked after by the National Trust. Yeah, I've been there, it's lovely. It's a great day out if you're in the South Wales area. Oh, it's smashing. Yeah. <laughs> Tracing her early years wasn't an easy task. It wasn't straightforward. I can take you back to when she was born uh, because I have a birth certificate. She was born on Saturday the 5th of January 1895 at number 39 Portman Square in London. This was her mother Catherine's second pregnancy in 18 months. Ooh. Evan Frederick Morgan, heir to the Morgan titles, had been born to her and her husband, Captain Courtney Morgan, on the 13th of July, 1893. At Tredegar House, the news of a new baby was announced when explaining Courtney's absence at the 12th annual night ball. Mr Perrett, the house steward, said Courtney was detained in London as there was a new lady in the Morgan family. So Courtney was her father and Catherine was her mother and they both came from quite blue-blooded backgrounds. They certainly did. Her her parents, Catherine Connecticut, her parents, Catherine Carnegie and Courtney Morgan, combined Scottish and Welsh dynasties. It was more of a marriage of, of two aristocratic families than one of love. Gwyneth and Evan, the two resulting children, spent more time with nannies and, and boarding school than they ever did with their parents. Catherine was frequently unwell. Courtney was at the Crimea, on his yacht, or in one of his many London residences, including the Ritz. Okay, can you tell us a little bit more about the world that Gwyneth was born into um, so, and how uh, her status as a, woman, as a woman meant, what that meant for her? Well, she would have been cosseted. Uh, she would have, certainly as she grew into, uh, into teenagehood, she'd, uh, she'd become um, debutant material. The most important thing, uh, if you had an aristocrat, the most important thing for the whole of her life would be to find a husband. May he be in the army, or another aristocrat, or possibly a clergyman. You gave each daughter to a different, different sort of person. <laughs> so you grew up knowing that one day you would marry a man of your same standing, or better still, of higher standing. And Gwyneth okay. was an honourable. Her mother had been an honourable, uh, and her father eventually became Lord Tredegar. So as a result of that, that was a sort of um, a sort of upbringing she had. And also she went to some very posh schools. She went to uh, one... Um, well, the, the, the list of clothing you had to bring was about two pages long, including uh-huh. large handkerchiefs. Um, <laughs> they would have been taught manners by their nannies and, and the school. Uh, they would have... They, they would have known how to curtsy and in, in, in the, if, if somebody of higher uh, standing came past, they would curtsy. And they were also being brought up, as I said earlier on, to be a rich man's wife, uh, somebody like his mother, who, who could look after him, cosset him, but also 
somebody who could host his parties. Mm. Ah, every woman's dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, she. one of the things, I guess, that would help in the old marriage market was uh, if you were very beautiful. And she. there was yeah. lots of reports, I think, even in the international press, of her looks. Yes, she was. picked she, up on it. Uh, she was very lovely. Um, it wasn't until about a week or two before we published our, our book, A Beautiful Nuisance, that we actually found the portrait that's on the front of the book, uh, where she does look beautiful. And in fact, mm. uh, that particular portrait um, is, uh, is amazing, because until then, we'd only had scrappy little photographs uh, from the local newspapers. And so when she did go missing... Um, the police weren't looking for this beautiful, beautiful girl, but in fact they were looking for quite an ugly girl who'd been ravaged by the drug trade. Okay. Spoiler. She looks, yeah, she does well. look very different. That's, that's well, different, it, I say she. it wasn't till a, a week or two before publication that we came across this wonderful photograph and nobody, but nobody, apart from myself and Will, and now visitors to Tredega to, to Park, uh, can see this. Mm. It's only a small one in, in, the, in the bedroom, um, but uh, I, I brought it in and I said, can I put this in a frame, please? Because nobody ever talks about her. That's <laughs> sad. So, yeah, yeah just, this is just one example. In the Washington Post in May 1914... So this is all the way in the US. Uh, there's a mention of the Honourable Gwyneth Morgan, only daughter of Lord Tredega. She is the great heiress among this season's debutantes in London, as well as one of the handsomest. OK. But despite this, she never actually got married. No, Gwyneth never married. I think we did have one man that she might have married, um, but unfortunately he was killed in the First World War. But she went to plenty of parties where it was expected that you were, mm. you would find a nice man, especially if yeah. he had a, a yeah. decent title, um, and marry him. But obviously it never seemed to occur to Gwyneth to take up with one of these gentlemen. OK. Because there were, sorry, just to interject quickly, there were rumours about her sexuality. There were indeed. In the sparse Tredega House archives on Gwyneth, is a letter dated 9th of February, 1979, from Evans' friend, Henry Max. In the sparse Tredega House archives on Gwyneth, there's a letter dated 9th of February, 1979. Evans' friend, Henry Maxwell, sent it. This goes much further in terms of classifying Gwyneth's sexuality. Gwyneth, I never knew, but two friends who did, told me that she was tall, striking and handsome, and very mannish. She was, in fact, I believe, what we now call a lesbian. Okay. What did they used to call them? <laughs> they, they didn't call lesbians them, didn't exist, my dear, before. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's heard of a lesbian. Anything. Good God. They, they wouldn't have called them lesbians. They, just, they would have been companions. So okay. um, what I'm... Do you think it was a conscious decision for her not to marry? Do you sort of believe these... Mm, I'm inclined to, I am inclined to believe... I am inclined to believe that. Uh, she never showed great interest in, in marrying a man. Um, 
and she went to so many parties and balls that she should have met at least one man. Yeah. Let's face it, even if he had a face like a shovel, you could manage. Um, if you had to, Just especially... Turn the lights off. If you had, yeah, turn the lights <laughs> off, plastic bug on, and um, turn the lights off... <laughs> Plastic bag overhead. Get on with the air and, and get on with it. Yes, yes. Or if necessary, go and see the gardener, <laughs> <laughs> Lady Chatterley. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we don't endorse that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway. <laughs> so let's move on a little bit in time. Yeah. Fast forward. Will we, will we go forward in? a little bit to her, to, to her death? I feel that. Um, She's in Wimbledon. She was in yes. She she um, she was. Her father got wind of the fact that uh, she was haunting around Limehouse and Chinatown, and he decided that the only way he could help his daughter and help the shame of anybody finding out about his daughter, he decided to move her to a rented house in Wimbledon called the Niche, number three Lancaster Avenue. This is down a private road. Um, an adopted road, so there aren't even lights down there. Now, Will and I can't resist a crime watch uh, reconstruction, so... I he... love these reconstructions. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Jobbing actors to just, like... <laughs> <laughs> he, he and I we went to the niche, um, and we decided, right, the, the idea being about, about Gwyneth was the fact that she'd, she'd left... Um, she'd left the niche on a very, very foggy mm. night. A pea super, as it used to be called. Yes. And yeah. she'd been recuperating from, well, what would they termed ill health. Ill a health. Of, a period of it. She yes. had a period of ill health. So she'd gone to Wimbledon, and then one night she went left. missing. Just, yeah, left the but house. But the night she went missing was, was possibly the worst time she could ever go missing because... Policemen couldn't see the hand in front of their faces. They were walking in front of cars and buses that had bravely decided to go out. I don't believe there is any way, and neither does Will, that she could have crossed London to get to Putney uh, to throw herself off a bridge to be found in the water six months later. Um, She would have to have left the niche in a car. And also she had a lot of money with her at the 70 time. Yeah. Seems a bit weird if you were planning, if you'd gotten so depressed and low that you wanted to commit suicide. It seems it a bit weird that you would take a lot of money with you. With you. No. you don't make future plans. No. And, well, and that was one of them, yes. One of them, yes. Yeah, I, I also... Well, it was a lot of money in those days. Now, Will and I slightly disagree on that. He believes uh, the money would have been to procure an abortion. Um... I'm not so sure about that. Because she was coming down from drugs, or at least said to be coming down from drugs, being Mm. treated by the uh, King's physician, Sir John Atkins, she was... uh, She'd been on a very low dose of drugs. And I feel that Mm. she got a taxi at the end of her road and they managed to find themselves to Chinatown somehow or another in Limehouse. And she then paid over money. To, to have drugs that she'd been mm. withdrawn from. Mm. And I, I truly believe that she probably had an overdose because the, the drugs would have been much finer than she was being taken down from. I see. Can you tell us a little bit more about her drug mm. problem? Um, yes, yeah, so we know that she went, 
she had had a period of... This is the official line, is she had a period of ill health and then she went missing and then about five or six months later... This was in 1924? 1924. And then her body turned up in the Thames. So there was never actually any admittance of a drug problem, but you have done some digging. Well, the research we've done um, shows that quite a lot of her contemporaries uh, were taking drugs at that time. It, it was almost normal. I know it sounds hard for us to believe that aristocrats well no maybe not nowadays <laughs> so um, that sound that hard <laughs> no <laughs> well it wouldn't be normal in my day <laughs> it wouldn't have been normal i th- i think there were so many of her friends dabbling mm. in in things and it was fun it was different when you've got all the money in the world yeah you're a beautiful girl you've got every prospect you'd ever want in the world What's left for you? Nothing. Yeah, not to mention that up until this point, they've always been directed towards marriage. All these fancy parties yes. and finding husbands. Yes, yeah. yes. And this is something that's new, not about that. Something that's not about that. Yeah. yeah. But we thought we thought it was significant that she hadn't married. I mean, yeah. she, she, as I say, she had had everything going for her. It seemed, but um, evidently not enough. It's just like the pop stars nowadays, where, where they, you know, yeah. they, they've got loads of money. What can they do next? Mm. You can only have so many parties, so many yachts. Yeah, and, uh, okay, so what shall we talk about? So um, where did you go to research this? Just well, <laughs> we, we <laughs> strange as it may seem, we started in the local papers and didn't find anything, the local papers being the Western Mail and the Argus. Um, We'd known her date of death because we had a copy of her death certificate and we also had a copy of her birth certificate. So we we knew a lot of facts about her, um, but there was nothing in the local papers. Now, of course, nowadays we're, we're well aware that people can go to court and have injunctions put on newspapers um, saying... You're not allowed to print that. Yeah. There would have been no injunction on the Western Mail or the South Wales Argus. It would have been Lord Tredegar says. And that would have been sufficient uh, not to anger the, the papers, uh, papers editors. Um, they, they couldn't print anything. Uh, so it wasn't until quite some time, six weeks after she disappeared, that... Uh, that it first got into the Western Mail, Piers' daughter missing. Um, she had been reported missing on, on the day she disappeared, but uh, the, um, the maid gave her name as Miss Morgan. No sign of the Honourable Gwyneth Erica Morgan. It was Miss Morgan. She's gone missing from a house in Wimbledon. So had the police realised, they would have probably pulled out the stops a bit more. Put their back oh, into it. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Courtney, her father, um, hired private eyes and, and all sorts to search for her. And she was also being looked after by a, a distant cousin who used to take her up to the centre of London twice a week uh, for her injections. OK, so should we talk a bit about the rest of her family? Yeah. Uh, her parents. Do you want to ask that question? Yes. Yeah, so... her relation? Her parents um, weren't together for a large portion of their marriage. They were never divorced, but they weren't, they weren't living together. No, Catherine Carnegie from a, a, a famous Scottish family, uh, again, we've talked about um, 
Tredegar House being 600 years old, um, in uh, Catherine's family house was a colossal castle. It looked like a fairy tale castle. Uh, it was beautiful. And uh, she was brought up with a number of brothers and sisters, some stepsisters and brothers, and all of them married well. And I think the time came for Catherine to get married. And uh, they decided, um, well, marry into this Welsh family. They're, they're, uh, her, her husband, her husband-to-be, was a, a Welsh, um, wealthy Welsh coal baron. So what effect do you think her parents' poor relationship might have had on Gwyneth? Is this why she sort of turned to, I don't know... Other sources of uh, comfort, yeah, I think, uh, maybe? Yeah. Well, uh, the aristocratic family never brought up their own children. You were wet-nursed from the moment you were born, looked after them by a nanny. Uh, later than that, uh, you went to boarding school. Um, after that, it was the search for the husband. It didn't matter how early you started, you were looking round. And Catherine and Courtney, her parents, were never happy in their marriage to my in my opinion, as I said, Catherine came from such a beautiful fairy tale castle to be brought to Tredegar House. There's a joke with with me and some of the others that work there. You know, it's uh, well, it's a council house. It's it's owned by the council on lease to the National Trust, and that must have been what it looked like to Catherine. This fabulous, <laughs> fabulous six hundred year old castle, which is still occupied by one of her relatives, uh, the Duke of Fife. Uh, who we saw around my dad in our searches. And Duke of Five was very, very generous when we were doing some searches. Mm. Okay. Uh, as was Lady Hereford, as was Lord Elgin. We went through the piers like nobody's business <laughs> when we were searching for Is that Gwyneth. Elgin of the Elgin, Elgin marbles? marbles? Yes, oh, indeed. Wow. That very same Elgin. Yeah. Well, probably not the same Elgin family. It could be. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> yeah, the same Elgin family. But yes, Catherine and Courtney never seemed to have a happy marriage. And to be quite honest, I think she, she stayed while she had the two children. And then Courtney bought her a house as far away from London as he possibly could uh, on the Surrey-Sussex border. Uh, and as far away from, from Tredegar House as possibly could... Mm. And another family seat called Rupera Castle, which is in Drython, uh, by Caffilly. So he bought her this lovely, lovely house. Glad to say I've been there as well and had a look. Hey. It's an upmarket nursing home nowadays. And uh, she, she ensconced herself there. Although they were married for 44 years, they were very, very rarely seen okay. together again. Courtney didn't really need a wife. He was quite happy with his mistresses, <laughs> whom he used to bring down from London. And if you read the servants' tales, they knew they were mistresses. Yeah. Uh, but also his sister, his sister Violet, used to play hostess at parties and balls and things like that. Yeah. So he, he didn't need a yeah, wife. Yeah, I guess he literally did not need one. He's already yeah. got the heir. Yeah, and he He's did. Got I mean, the only thing he wanted, as far as women was concerned, was, you know, um, <laughs> maybe a trip out on his yacht or something. So he, he, he even, his chauffeur um, used to sometimes pick one of his mistresses up from London um, and one day he wanted his chauffeur to go to France. So the chauffeur went to, uh, went to an aerodrome, uh, the mistress was landed 
on the uh, into the plane. She she went over to France, and then the uh, the chauffeur, Lord Courtney's, Lord Tredegar's chauffeur, uh, met her on the other side and, and ferried her around. Wow! Quite it was quite a famous divorce that one. Mm. <laughs> So she had a brother, Evan, who was a little bit older than her. Can you tell us a little yes. bit more about their relationship? I, I think, uh, I do believe that he was very fond of his sister and either he got her into drugs or he, he knew the person who encouraged her to take drugs. Okay. Because I could, in his very, one of his poems, he was a rotten poet, by the way, but I can <laughs> always live with the poem in Parche, um, you can see the anguish coming out in him. And it said he built a shrine in his bedroom to his sister uh, when she died. Evan was an extreme eccentric. I mean, he... Yeah, he, I mean, he, if you go to Tredegar House, there's a lot about Evan, but... Hardly yeah, anything hardly you, you want to hear about Gwyneth. Gwyneth. And she just, she led an, an interesting life in her own... I'm going to burp, sorry. <laughs> we'll edit that out, don't we? <laughs> Thank you. Um, Evan was extremely eccentric, not even slightly eccentric. Okay. Mm. And he was a rotten fibber as well. He would make up these most marvellous stories about what he said and what he did. And uh, But every, every couple of weeks he'd come down with all his friends, H.G. Wells and people like that, uh, would come to Tredegar House party all weekend and then go back to London. Okay. Yes, so we've got uh, the poem. It's, he kind of strikes me as the sort of person who thought he was a better poet than he actually was. Yeah, oh, he doesn't was. have go on. Like, goes, that poem is much longer than it so, needs to be. It's, over ten, it's about ten pages long. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. One of the things that he particularly mentions is this Jezebel character. Jezebel, right. That, what, what page are we on? Uh, 181. Oh, God. It does go on a long time, doesn't it? Super Cyprian, coarse soul Sybarite. Sybarite. Do you want to ask me about, uh, about that one? Whoops, that one line. Yeah. Oh. So do you want to ask me about... Okay, yeah, so there's this one line that mentions this Jezebel character. The Jezebel who counted love a toy and family ties to wet an appetite. Yes, I, I feel. Is one. I feel as he wrote that there was a lot of venom in him, mm. but I fair to say we have done our researches pretty accurately, and we have yet to find the Jezebel, mm. that super Cyprian, coarse-souled Cyberite, whose gross and vulgar hand struck at our joy, that Jezebel who counted love a toy, and family ties to wet an appetite. This is pretty damning stuff. Like, there's a lot of. So he's talking about a woman that yes, sort of had some effect on Gwyneth, or yes, yeah, so and we've done he's blaming her. as well. Yeah. I feel he's blaming her. So maybe this is the woman. Maybe it wasn't Evan who introduced her to drugs. Maybe it was a woman. We never get nearer that, unfortunately, and we know most of uh, Gwyneth's friends now. Mm. Uh, we've we've talk to the families of, of um, people who were involved um, with her friends and we've never found the Jezebel um, we've never been convinced about a Jezebel uh, I did say earlier one lady was sent away uh, when her husband dis- discovered that Gwyneth had gone missing he sent his wife away so that she, she was 
Um, she wasn't in, in Britain uh, when the body was found. And perhaps uh, there are accounts of Gwyneth's funeral. Um, there was a mysterious floral tribute yeah. uh, that no-one knew who sent it. Um, but what did it say again? I exactly? love her so dearly. I love her so dearly. Yes, um, at her funeral, which is a very, very small affair, her mother didn't go because she was at home having a fit. Uh, her brother didn't go, Evan didn't go. Now, Evan was in Italy at the time, and I cannot imagine him not going to his sister's funeral. Now, Will, and I don't know if I totally agree with this as well, um, Will feels that... We should just say, Will is your... Oh, yeah, Will is my writing partner. Yeah, I think I said that at the yeah, beginning of the wedding. might have done, yeah. but yeah. Uh, her mother didn't go to the funeral because she was at home having the vapours. Her brother didn't go to the funeral. Uh, the only Morgan that was there was uh, was in fact her father, Lord Tredegar. I can't. I find it very unusual that her brother didn't come over because he flitted all around the world. So coming over from Italy would have been nothing for him. But Will, my writing partner and uh, co-biographer, believes that Evan had been asked to stay away because if he'd been seen coming over to Britain more would have been made of the funeral. Uh, okay. You know, brother brother jets in to, you know, for dying or dead daughter's... Dead sister. Brother jets in for dead daughter's funeral. So, in fact, uh, it, was a, it was a very, very quiet affair. Mm. We looked at all the wreaths. We know every single person that sent the wreath, with the exception of one. And it said, I loved her so dearly. Mm. So that could have been Jezebel. Jezebel. It could could well have been Jezebel, yes. Yeah, someone who was attached to her, but who her family wouldn't approve of, and thus, if they knew the wreath came from her, they probably would have prevented it from being displayed. Yes, very likely, yes. Because women at that time, um, she was nearly 30 when she died. By now, she ought to have been married, had children... All the wonderful things that her money would have enjoyed, uh, but she chose to throw it away mm. on drugs and misery. Mm. It seems also a bit odd that Courtney was the only one of her family that was there, considering he was the one that locked yeah. her up. In he doesn't exactly seem Wimbledon. to be very But if he hadn't, if Courtney hadn't gone, her father hadn't gone, there would have been that nobody have from the family at all. Mm. Yeah, and that's pretty. I mean, even her, thing, even like her old nanny wise. went. Yeah. Um, yes. Oh, one thing we should uh, just mention before mm. I forget, the inquest into her death. And the... So this took place after her funeral or before her funeral? Um, the body, after it had been brought ashore to the mortuary, was identified as that of Gwyneth Erica Morgan by jewellery... Uh, by her underwear, which had G.E. Morgan inside, um, a laundry mark, <laughs> uh, by Hollingsworth Maniac, who was the so-called minder, uh, taking her up to London every day to, uh, uh, to have... Uh, uh, Maniac took her up to um, London twice a week to have injections at St John Atkins... Uh, I was telling you about uh, about the way they managed to um, to recognise 
this rotted corpse which they pulled from the Thames mm. as Gwyneth's body. I'm afraid I'm a bit of a doubter on this one as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, she was um, the the body. What was what there was of it, dressed in a Macintosh, which is probably the only thing that was holding it together. A shoe. Because at this point, it had been in the Thames for about five months, yes. much longer than you could identify and a body after after being. She had no hair. The yeah. hair had rotted Ooh. off. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably only the Macintosh that was holding it together. She had a very curious necklace on. It wouldn't have been curious if it had been a mended necklace. Um, Gwyneth had been given this turquoise necklace by her brother and she felt very strongly that she should never be without it. And uh, as a reason, she would never take it to be mended. And, in fact, she used to mend it herself if it ever broke with string and beer bottle wire. Okay. So sad to think of one of the richest women in the country being pulled out of the Thames six months after she died, wearing a necklace held together with, with beer bottle wire. And... That's exactly what the coroner said. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, uh-huh. he did. He said surely she would, she would have taken it to get mended. And um, her, her, her companion, Miss, Miss Parrott, said no, she, she never would take it off. Um, coincidentally, turquoise is said to save you from drowning. Uh, Didn't work, did it? No, <laughs> but on the other hand, active. was she dead when she went in the river? Mm. But that's how she was identified from these small artefacts, um, and the fact it had G. E. Morgan in the in the mm. back of her uh, undies. But uh, I was I'm not always. It could have been anybody with her necklace on, couldn't it? It could. They could have just put it on any old woman because. Well, sorry, not. It could have been anybody with uh, with that necklace and, and those uh, underclothes on. They didn't have to be Gwyneth, did it? Okay, and those were the only identifying factors. They were the only identifying could, factors. That you could fake. Um, well, the the, uh, the inquest was held um, on Tuesday, the twenty sixth of May, just one day after the discovery of the body at Pocock's Wharf, and it continued into Friday, Friday the twentieth. And continued on Friday the 29th of May at Rotherhithe Town Hall. They were sitting without a jury. A considerable crowd, a considerable crowd had gathered outside the court at Rotherhithe on the first day. Is it normal for inquests to sit without a jury? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Okay. One way of making sure that everything goes the way you want it to is not is to have a jury because yeah, there are too that. many people um, saying, oh, that's not quite right. Um, this way, it meant, that, uh, it, it meant that Courtney was probably going to get his own way. Um, Courtney, Lord Rodiga wasn't present on the first day. Evan, as I mentioned earlier on, was in Italy uh, and Catherine was under sedation at uh, Hollywood House in Rohook. Uh, the Trudiga estate solicitor, Mr Ryder, represented the family. In the months of Gwyneth's disappearance, the maid Blacklock and lady's companion Keeling had left London for employment elsewhere. Without doubt, they were paid to go missing. By Courtney? By Courtney. Because okay. he wanted to just... He just wanted... He wanted get to this sweep over with it, it, yeah, it under the, the carpet, yes. Yeah. But um, uh, they were managed to be traced by, by the solicitor for the family. Um, the two key witnesses were very well briefed. 
Um, they volunteered little beyond confirming the evidence already given by by Maniac, Herminder and uh, Miss Parrot. Um, explanation of how the house at Wimbledon was run, uh, Gwyneth's sleeping habits and whether she took drugs or not. Amazingly, they never saw her taking drugs. But would she have been able to get drugs into the house? I would imagine so. Mm, yes, okay. at the very she beginning. Could get out, I suppose she's meant to be in like secure. Can't have been that secure. No, she can't, can't, have, can't have been that secure. Night. She yeah. could probably get drugs in. I reckon she could have. Um, yeah. But of course, she was going up to town twice a week okay. to 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 you know be brought down from these drugs. But Courtney finally attended um, halfway through the second day of the proceedings, uh, which was swift with which was swiftly wrapped up to ensure the only satisfactory outcome was that of an open verdict. Vital evidence relating to the £70 Gwyneth left the house with was sidestepped. £70, as I said earlier, would have paid for a substantial tally of illegal drugs. £70 would have paid for an abortion. £70 would have got her away to a safe refuge, possibly abroad. The true thrust... The true state of Gwyneth's nervous disorder, her months spent at Gerard's Cross, which we haven't mentioned so far, but she went missing for six months. And at Gerard's Cross, there is uh, a home for epileptics. Okay. It's believed that there was epilepsy in the Morgan family. And in fact, on one of the death certificates, we, we found epilepsy as, as uh, a contributing factor to a Morgan death. Imagine epilepsy in polite society uh if you if you mm. collapse in the middle of a ball and start writhing on the floor you're not going to be invited to many other balls are you and that might be another reason why she didn't marry men yeah. said have you seen that uh, gwyneth don't touch her with a barge pole oh, that would have really affected the the vital marriage yeah. it would have yes yeah. and, and and epilepsy wasn't well understood in those days um, I'll just give you the last bit of the... Um... Oh, there we are. When Will and I did our, our, um, our crime watch, we discovered that it was four miles uh, from her home in Wimbledon uh, to the nearest water. Well, she was said at the time to be suffering from dysentery. It seems very, very unlikely that she could walk four miles in a pea super. The woman had never walked anywhere. She took taxis. She had cars. Mm. She didn't Let alone leave. if you've got uh, yeah. dysentery. Yeah, or... precisely. Especially if you've got dysentery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd go as far as the nearest bush if you had dysentery. <laughs> um, Maniac um, said that Gwyneth hadn't been well uh, when he gave evidence. Who's Maniac? Maniac is, is a distant cousin. He was her minder, so Aye, to speak. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hollingsworth Maniac um, was her minder sent by Courtney to keep an eye on her and to make sure that she went to went up to town to have her injections. Um, but unfortunately, uh, he, he wasn't staying at the house. He stayed elsewhere. So the morning she disappeared, the maids phoned maniac and said come down quickly um Gwyneth's gone at the inquest he said that she hadn't been well recently 
but he didn't elaborate on that. So we don't quite know what that was. Mm. Any, Seems like the kind of thing you might ask yeah. people to elaborate on. Well, that, that's yeah. exactly <laughs> what I'm just about to say. Uh, Why didn't the coroner say, and in what way wasn't she well? Yeah. yeah. He it's... did say, well, I think she was a bit depressed. Um, but that certainly wouldn't be enough for a coroner, certainly not nowadays. You'd have to come no. up with some better information it's than very that. very fishy, that is. And, uh, yes, so uh, the open verdict came out, and um, oh, the two policemen that were in the, in the, um, in the boat... Uh, were also um, interrogated, but they could say more than they'd found, no more than they found the rotted body floating up and down with the mm. tide. Mr Whitehouse, the coroner, spent some time examining the pendants and a chain to which were tacked little turquoise ornaments. He asked Sergeant Mathers if he'd found this jewellery as it was presented in court. They seemed to be broken some time and put together with some wire and thread. In the newspapers, it stated later that the necklace had been mended in numerous places with string, ginger beer, bottle wire and thread. The coroner said, do you mean to tell me she was wearing these things? Both of these were found round her neck and they were both in the position as they are now. Round her neck, sir. There are only other small things attached to the gold chain. Uh, Miss Parrott, her companion, also agreed that Gwyneth always wore, wore this necklace. A lady such as this didn't need to wear broken jewellery, surely. She would have taken it to the jewellers to be repaired. Then it came out that she hadn't taken it to the jewellers because she felt so strongly about it that she never wanted to ever take it off. Mm. And, as I say, that led to her identification. I mean, it, that doesn't sound like the sort of thing that someone would say if they were of totally well that's, mind. Yes, yeah. that's true. Being so attached to a necklace that you didn't even want to take it to be mended. Yeah. That yes. sounds like she might have been That shows unwell. paranoia, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, well, her, her companion, uh, Miss Parrott, offered to lend her a turquoise cross, but it, it, she couldn't, it wasn't acceptable. She had to have the necklace. Um, she didn't want to be without something to wear while she was making a change, uh, said Miss Parrott. Then, I think you did not look on her as a normal person. In the first place, no one would wear a pendant tied in this way with pieces of string, pieces of ginger bop... No one would wear a necklace tied in this way with pieces of string, pieces of ginger beer bottle wire, and then with pieces of thread. At the end of the inquest, the coroner passed a brown envelope to Courtney. He opened it, looked at the contents, nodded and the envelope was returned to the coroner. The verdict, suffocation by drowning, open verdict, was a conclusion. Courtney couldn't wait to see the last of his troublesome daughter, and she was buried before the death certificate was even signed. Yes, and she wasn't even buried with yeah. the rest of the family. She was buried in... Putney Vale. Yeah, they didn't take her body back to Wales. They didn't bury oh, her no, there. Oh, um, no, Courtney wanted nothing of her, her father wanted nothing of her, and he didn't want her in the family vault. Um, That's really sad, actually. Really sad, so sad. Yeah. Needless to say, Will and I went to Putney Vale to see her old grave. Oh, is it still there? No, it isn't, actually, oh. because he, after uh, Courtney died, her father died, Evan had her exhumed and brought mm. 
okay. to St Basil's Church in Baisleg. Which leads to the... The beginning of the, the story. Of the story. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on Evan, but it, I'm sure he felt really bad, but considering he couldn't come, even come back for the funeral, yeah. it seems like a bit of an empty gesture. <laughs> it's I, a little bit late, for one. Yes. Well, I agree with you totally. Um, the least he could have done is, is go... Leaving his father on... on he felt more uh, for his sister than his father felt for his daughter. She had been the apple of his eye, but this drug business and having to incarcerate her in Wimbledon mm. was just about more than he could take. Yeah. And he was now involved with the royal family as, a, as, a, a, as Catherine was a relative of, uh, of somebody who married into the royals. He couldn't stand the idea of, of the embarrassment, the it being all over the papers about her drug use and things like that. So the sooner he could get her in, in a hole in the ground, the better. And to be buried at, without a death certificate is a pretty yeah. amazing she thing. Was, she was the apple of his eye as long as she did what he yes. how he wanted her to. Yes. Oh, yeah, she was... I mean, she was, she was pretty, she was talented, she could play the piano... Uh, she could sing. She was great fun at parties. But this, I think, preceded um, the drug business and mm. possibly might have preceded epilepsy. I'm not saying she did have epilepsy because we've never found her at Gerard's Cross. Um, but we do know she was at Gerard's Cross because it's mentioned in some evidence. Okay. One thing I realised that we haven't actually mentioned Billy Chang at all. Oh, no. <laughs> and he's like, we can edit it, we can, we can edit yeah, this bit back in into the middle. Can we just... Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, take it. Yeah, so this uh, Billy Chang was a opium dealer. Central figure in the yeah. Limehouse world where she became involved. Her family sort of had charitable interests there or something, you think? that maybe They had land and she, houses got, there. Yeah. Um, it was fashionable for young aristocratic ladies to go to Limehouse and Chinatown and initially go into the drug dens just just for excitement, to see people taking drugs. But it wasn't going to be long before they hooked maybe the wrong thing, I should say. Bearing in mind they used hookers. But um, hookah pipes, sorry. Um, but drugs were rife in Chinatown. And it wouldn't be very long before somebody, one of the aristocrats, tried it. And, of course, drugs are fine the first time, maybe, the second time. But if yeah. they're withdrawn from you, you crave them. And these women, these aristocratic women, had all sorts of money to spend. Now, one uh, famous face on the Limehouse scene was brilliant Billy Chang, a Chinaman. Brilliant in inverted... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Visualisers do me inverted yeah. commas. Brilliant Billy Chang. And he was instrumental in, in uh, a number of deaths amongst ag- actresses who had taken drugs. Um, I, I won't go through that now. He was instrumental uh, amongst um, the drug-taking actresses of the time, a number of whom died. And it's known that... Um, Gwyneth was was. Uh, it's known that Gwyneth was involved with brilliant Billy Chang. Uh, I think I said earlier, she may be having a Chinese baby, which mm. is possibly you know the reason to to go to. And the that land. would have been just 
That would Imagine be if that. Courtney found out about that. I mean, yeah, it's well, absolutely devastating for the family. I do believe he did. Yeah. I do believe he did. Okay. Because oh, so you think that she was pregnant? No, but I believe he thought she was. Oh, I see. Okay. Only because him, the really. servants have written in their accounts that she had she she had been pregnant or she was pregnant with a yellow baby. Which is what we would call a mixed race yes. or Chinese yeah. yes, baby. Well, I mean, uh, but brilliant Billy Chang was absolutely wonderful at, at capturing these aristocratic women. Okay. And then taking their drug supply away so they'd go with him um, just to get money. Um, sorry. They'd go with him just to get the drugs. It, it, it didn't matter how much money they had. Mm. It was never going to be enough. Um, Billy Chang was, was deported before Gwyneth died, in fact. Uh, but by then it was too late. She was always already hooked. Already hooked, yeah. He knew what he was doing. He did, indeed. Yeah. Shall we just say or think about whether you think Gwyneth's fate would have been different if she had been a man that mm. had had this drug problem? Because obviously her brother did drugs and he Ooh. was just sort of seen as like, oh, he's eccentric, oh, he throws fun yeah. parties. Whereas Gwyneth, Gwyneth's name has just been like, Blacklisted. Yeah. Or as Evan is like, always oh, a bit of a one. He's yes, like, you yes. write his really long poems what a fun and they're guy. Really not that good. <laughs> oh, we, yeah, we should just say the poem is called In Pace. If in Parche. In Pace. Parche. Parche. The poem's called In Parche. Uh, I wouldn't bother reading it if I was you because <laughs> it's super long and it doesn't say a great deal, but if you did want to look it up, that's what it's called. Yeah. In Parche and it's, it means in peace. Ah, I see. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so her brother's scene is very eccentric and fun. But she has been blacklisted from the family history and... She was indeed. I don't think... Once it got out, I don't think it was acceptable, except in certain circumstances, except in certain circumstances, uh, to be known as a drug user. Men could get away with it. I mean, even in the First World War, morphine was, was a known part of a soldier's kit. You could buy you could buy morphine in Harrods and send it over to your husband wow. uh, fighting at the front, um, and they used to have little, little little sort of picnic baskets full of all the, all the things a gentleman oh, needs, and one some, of which was morphine. And some morphine. Yes. Wow. <laughs> to be honest, I think if I was in the trenches, I probably wouldn't say no to a bit of morphine. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yes, Evan and men, I think, could get away with it. It wasn't ladylike mm, to wow. be a drug user, and how how do you how do you marry a woman who might one day absolutely shame you? Um, they were perfectly capable of shaming themselves. The the aristocrats they didn't they didn't need to marry one that uh, that was going to make a fool of them. Okay, so it's quite a it's a sad story, but it it's is. an interesting story. A lot of intrigue, but it is, yeah. I guess we'll never really know exactly tragic. what happened. I know, yeah, but people say, if you had it. a time machine, what would you like to do? And I like say, I'd like to be standing behind Gwyneth on the 9th of December 1924 to see know. where she went. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one, one ambition I would always, I would always like, <laughs> but uh-huh. it's not going to happen. And we're never, ever going to know the true story of Gwyneth. Um, but we've done our best to find out. We've been everywhere. Yeah, you certainly have. We've yeah, done very, a lot of research. Very research. Yeah, not a lord or lady in the land has escaped our clutches. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, finally, shall we just say if um, perhaps other people have come across a story that they want to maybe investigate or maybe write 
about in the same way that you have what advice would you give them? Where would they go to look? Yeah, what's the first place that you research, would Research, research. Um, <laughs> well, nowadays, especially if you live in Wales, and this is an absolutely wonderful thing, you can look at newspapers, old newspapers online for free. Okay. If you're a member of the National Library of Wales, Aberystwyth, and you don't even have to go there to become a member, you can apply online. And that's always a good start, the newspapers, mm. especially if, if you're looking for something like we were, which was an unusual thing that might have been reported other than in Newport. And, of course, we found lots of reports in the Times and the other newspapers, uh, Daily Mail, uh, about, uh, about Gwyneth. Um, the other thing is you've got to travel. I know nowadays I, I sit packing away at my computer and think, oh, this is easy, sit at home and do this. But you're always going to get the wiki experience where <laughs> somebody's just made up a load of facts. Um, you've got to go and look for yourself. You've got to get things like birth certificates, death certificates. Go to the National Archives at Kew. They still hold a lot of Welsh information. And you've actually, you don't have to go there again. They will copy stuff for you, but obviously at a price. You've just got to do your research. Get hold of members of the family. I mean, the Duke of Fife is, is Catherine's cousin. He, he was so generous with his time. Um, we went to Honeywood House, all the, all the places she'd been, uh, mm. we went to, yeah. to, to see if we could find her. So, yeah, you have to think so, about yeah, the commitment of time as well. It is. It, it's not an easy thing, researching a book, because one thing you don't want, want to be told afterwards is, well, you got that wrong, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> especially, especially when you've spent years writing it up and again reading books of the you know that relate to the period Mm. girls by Marit Cohen's it's a wonderful book uh, which explains the um the drug underground at at the time when Gwyneth was taking drugs great I think that's it Monty thank you so much for helping us you're very welcome and I just hope that will enthuse somebody else to go out and uh, do their own research I hope so if anyone ever does, they should definitely get in contact with us about it. Yes, please do. Yeah. I would love to hear that. So I hope you enjoyed that. So we thought it would be nice to end the episode by uh, sharing our own theories on what yeah. happened to Gwyneth. I, my theory is very confused because there's a lot I'm not <laughs> sure of. I definitely think she was going to meet someone when she left the house. Um, possibly the person that left the mysterious floral tribute at her funeral, because it seemed like they were quite close. The I love her so dearly. Yeah. I don't think she was going to commit suicide. I'm also not sure that it was very pre-planned. I feel like Mm -hmm. it might have just been a spur-of-the-moment thing that she decided to do. But then would she have needed time to collect the money to get all that cash from the bank? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, I don't know. I also... I feel like she probably overdosed... And then her body was dumped in the river. But then if the person really did love her so dearly, they're not just going to chuck her body in the river? And also, the distance from where the house and where she was... Her body was found, there's no way she could have walked that because it was foggy and she was ill. So she would have had to have gotten a taxi or been driven there. But then there would have been witnesses. Someone would have seen her, someone would have driven the car. So, I don't know. I don't... To be honest, I don't really buy the theory that it wasn't her body that they pulled out of the river. No, that seems a little bit... um, hmm. I think it was her. 
Yeah, I, I think I, the most likely scenario is that it was her it body. It was wearing her necklace and it was wearing her clothes. Yeah, I so, think, I think yeah. it makes the most sense to just infer that that was her body. Mm. It's really sad, though. It is sad, Because yeah. she was one of the wealthiest women in the country and yeah. ended up being decomposed, dragged out of the Thames yeah. five months after she died. I think it speaks a lot to the fact that we don't have any of her own words. Yeah. We don't have any um, diaries or anything like that. Um, so there's so much missing there because we don't have Gwyneth's voice. It's interesting because, in a way, her story is quite unique in that her death was very mysterious and there was a lot of intrigue. But at the same time, it's probably quite typical of a lot of women of that time who felt trapped mm. and were looking for some sort of escape. Yeah, Monty and was saying that uh, drug addiction was yeah. quite a prom- common problem among aristocratic really women. It's sad, yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, despite it being very sad, I hope that you found that interesting. Uh, if you have any thoughts, please get in touch. Our email is storiesofthesisterhood at gmail.com. And if you know of any women that you think we should cover on the podcast, or even if you want to appear on the podcast, that'd be great. Uh, but it would be good if you were in the South Wales area, because so, that, that's where we are. Somewhere we could reasonably travel yeah. to. <laughs> um, so it could be your it could be your gran, it could be your mum, could be someone you learned about at school or uni. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Send us an email. We'd love Please to hear do. from you. And you can follow me on Twitter at HMDavis95. That's I E S. I think my Twitter handle is Alicia J D. I think it is. I think there's an underscore in there somewhere. There. there might be an underscore. Just search Alicia Joy Davis and she'll pop up. There's only she'll pretty unique. There's only one Alicia. So Oh, thanks, Hall. <laughs> Also, we'd like to uh, credit where it's due. We'd like to thank uh, Harry Bly, who did our editing for us. Yeah, he was a huge help. He knows a lot about podcasting. And he actually has his own podcast called Think Tank, which is a storytelling 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 podcast. podcast. It's really good. You should definitely check it out. We'd also like to thank our friend Lizzie, who did the intro music for us. Yes, Lizzie Watson. Lizzie Watson. Holly and I know absolutely nothing about music. Nothing. So we definitely needed the help there. So Indeed. We're very grateful. Uh, yeah, so I'm not really sure how we're going to sign this off. Uh, see you next time. Hope you tune in again. See you. We should also just say big thanks to Monty, of course, for helping us out. She was great, and we definitely could, have, could not have done it without her. Yes, if you would like to pick up A Beautiful Nuisance, it's available online. You can buy it on Amazon. <laughs> Stories of the Sisterhood was presented by Holly Morgan Davis and Alicia Joy Davis. It was produced by Harry Bly, with music by Elizabeth Grace Watson. This series is proud to be part of the Think Tank family. Find out more about this and other original shows at our new website, thinktank.fm.